I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, post-game edition. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We are at Cleveland Browns Stadium. Uh, it is about 9.30 here on Sunday night. So as we're recording this, just as we talk through some things, we don't know the outcome of the uh, of the Jaguars-Ravens game. We know it's 3-0 Ravens right now with about two minutes left in the first half. So um, some, some incomplete things maybe when you hear this podcast uh, in the morning, maybe. But what we did watch was the Browns beat the Bears 20-17. to The Browns scored 13 points in the fourth quarter. They were down 17-7 to with 7.07 left in this game. And then they get two Dustin Hopkins field goals, a 51-yard touchdown pass from Joe Flacco to Amari Cooper. Uh, so let's do it the way we always do it. Takeaway, we'll do big things at the end. Mary Kay, what's your takeaway from this game? Wow, there's so many different ways that you can go, but I will leave the uh, one of the biggest ones to you guys. Ooh. And, I, you know, I'm going to take Joe Flacco. I'm going to take Joe overcoming three interceptions in this game. And the first two really weren't necessarily his fault. One, I thought that Cedric Tillman may have ran an, may have run an errant route. And then on the second one, He caught the ball and got it knocked away from him, and Tremaine Edwards cashed in on that and caught it and scored. So those first two, which led to 14 points, really weren't necessarily Joe's fault. Uh, The third one in the third quarter, uh, you know, that may have been his fault, but he, uh, the defense bailed him out, so they didn't get any points off of that one. But the key is that Joe Flacco, Got it together like these longtime veterans do, like these former Super Bowl MVPs do. He got it together in the fourth quarter, and he went 11 of 13 for 212 yards and a touchdown, completing passes of 57 to Marquise Goodwin, 51 for a touchdown to Amari Cooper, 31 and 34 to David Njoku on the game-winning field goal drive. He was dynamite. I mean, he was dynamite. And guess what? He lost Joel Batonio in the first quarter and was down to one of the Browns' original offensive linemen. They had a makeshift offensive line with James Hudson and Jerron Christian and Nick Harris and Michael Dunn. And he still went out there and did what he did in the fourth quarter. And that's why you go out and you get a guy like Joe Flacco to help you save the season. This is the eighth time Joe has thrown three or more interceptions in a game. 
Uh, first time since 2014. Second time he's won a game. He beat Minnesota 29-26 back in 2013. Um, so, listen, Joe's a gunslinger. He's a guy that will have turnover problems sometimes. Like you said, Mary Kay, those weren't all his fault today. Uh, I'm sure if we look back over some of these games, you could say that about a lot of these picks. But he's going to have games like this where the ball goes to the other team. It's sort of what you live with with Joe Flacco. But, Ashley, the reason you like having Joe Flacco is because when you need double-digit points in the fourth quarter, he found a way to get them for you. Yeah, and boy, do the Browns know what that is like to be on the receiving end of two after last year's uh, game against the Jets when he came back and beat them in like a span of 80-some seconds at the end of the game. 82 seconds, Mary Kay is telling me, because of her (laughs) penchant for remembering numbers. That's what I thought. I don't have the same penchant, so I didn't want to be wrong, but thank you, Mary Kay. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think over and over again, it's not just that part of his experience that's helpful. But I thought it was was interesting, Marquise Goodwin bringing up kind of the impact it has on the entire offense and on the sideline in those moments when things are going wrong. And even in those moments where they are Joe's fault and he does throw a pick that he shouldn't have or makes a read he shouldn't have. He said he never gets too high or too low, which I do think people know that about Joe Flacco. He is a very Kevin Stefanski-like personality. But that rubs off on everyone else because they don't see him panicking, so they don't panic. And they don't see him getting too comfortable, so they don't get too comfortable. So I think it's not just that X's and O's standpoint and knowing how to thrive when those moments come his way, but also keeping everyone else around him level-headed no matter what's going wrong. I think it would have been really easy for a lot of quarterbacks to panic when Joel Batonio goes out and he's like, you're you're one constant on that O-line. Um, or even when they got down to their third center at one point, Nick Harris had to come out and they had to throw Luke Whipler in there in the fourth quarter. But he, you know, went through it all. And ultimately, I think his demeanor, you saw it and felt it translate out there. Again, another random Flacco stat. One, two, three, four, five, six. This was his seventh most yards in a game passing. He's 38 and it's 2023. And he just had his seventh most yards in a game passing in the regular season. And it looks like his most since 2018. This resurgence, Mary Kay, is really incredible for a lot of reasons. I think the biggest of which is, like, nobody wanted this guy. I mean, the Jets had him last year, lost their starting quarterback, didn't call him and bring him back. There's so many teams that could have called Joe Flacco. Nobody did it until the Browns brought him in for a tryout. It's... It's just crazy to think about where he's at right now and how quickly he's gotten to a point where he's throwing for 374 yards in a football game. Well, I'll tell you what. It's absolutely remarkable what he has been able to accomplish, but there are some factors at play here that are making it possible. Number one, and I figured this out in a big way this week, they are basically running Gary Kubiak's offense that Joe Flacco excelled in in 2014. It's the same verbiage, the same terminology, the same philosophy, the same play action, the same bootlegs, the same rollouts, okay? So that's a huge factor. He didn't have to come in and try to learn an entirely different set of concepts. He is well-versed in this, and it feels like home to him. So that's one thing. Another thing is the fact that this is a dang good football team, okay? It's a good football team. Now, I do think that... Joe Flacco, it would be helpful if he had another really good Pro Bowl receiver on this football team, like, you know, like a DeAndre Hopkins, who we 
said they should sign in the offseason. He's helping Will Levis out a lot, that's for sure. He's certainly helping Will Levis out. So they really could use another guy like that. Because as we mentioned before, said Tillman is showing signs of becoming a really, really good receiver. But he's still a rookie. And when you get to crunch time like this, you really want a number of guys that have been there before and that are going to be so incredibly reliable for you that they're just can't miss. And I think they're missing that second guy like that. You've got Amari. And then, I mean, David Njoku, David's coming through in a big way. And he was always supposed to be one of the top three pass catchers on this team. He's establishing himself in every way. And then, you know, Kevin and and Alex Van Pelt and this offensive staff, once again, conversely, they know how to call a game for this guy. They know how to do it. They've done it so many times before for Case Keenum, right? And for Baker Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett. They know how to call this kind of drop back, play action, boot, wide zone scheme offense. They, they have this down. And so all these, oh, and then, then the, other, the other key thing is when football is taken away from you, completely taken away from you and nobody wants you, you don't think that you're going to come back with a little something to prove? Nobody wanted Joe Flacco. Nobody. And guess what? He's out to show the NFL that they made a big freaking mistake. I wish this were on video. That's what I was just going to say. I'm waving my hands around. Like Joe Flacco, I am Italian and expressive. So, yes. I just, I just, it just blows me away that what have we talked about for years and years? Like the Browns need a quarterback to unlock David Njoku. Yes. And all season, the Browns need a quarterback who can get the ball to Marquise Goodwin. We all thought that quarterback was going to be Deshaun Watson. And who knew it was going to end up being Joe Flacco, who all of a sudden just unlocked all of these things. Okay, Ashley, what do you have? So I'm going to combine, I think, a couple of bigger picture ideas, because I think they go together. So Dan, I'm hoping I'm not stealing a talking point from you. But I do think watching this game today, I wrote a story about this. There were multiple guys who stepped up who were unlikely heroes in big moments. And a lot of that has to do with guys who were thrown into the fire because of injuries in their position group. Like Cam Mitchell comes in and gets a big fourth down run stop that technically they did credit him with a sack. It looked like Justin Fields was taking off. Whatever. We'll give him the sack. On the very first play of the fourth quarter, Marquise Goodwin, like Mary Kay, and you were talking about, he gets the big 57-yard pass, his longest catch of the year in the fourth quarter. You have DeAnthony Bell get the big interception on Justin Fields' Hail Mary here at the end and solidifying a crazy play that I still don't know how it happened. I've watched it back 10 times. Still don't know how Mooney doesn't make the catch there. Um, you have even like Alex Wright getting a big strip sack in the first half. You have Michael Dunn having to come in because Joel Batonio has to leave in the first quarter and not really missing a beat. You have Luke Whipler coming in, like I said. Uh, Mahmoud Diabati recovering a big fumble. You know, it's like you can go on and on and on and find examples of these guys today um, that just stepped up and made these plays. And I think it's because of that, this is where my second big idea comes in, that they are showing they can hang in any single game against any opponent. And we just keep seeing more and more evidence of that. It's getting impossible to ignore for me. This team should not be turning the ball over like they are and be 9-5. and five. 
And I, I think that's the one thing that sticks with me as we go through this. Like today was almost the day that the turnovers got you. Um, last week it was a little close, but you know, Jacksonville just wasn't good enough. These turnovers are an issue. And Andrew Barry sounded this alarm back in week five, or I guess it was week four during his bye week press conference. And all they've done since then is turn the ball over even more. Uh, they've only had one game where they haven't turned the ball over since the bye week. And I think they've had now seven multi turnover games. And it's because of this defense, Mary Kay. It's because this defense continues to, to bail them out over and over again. So I don't want to hijack Ash's point here. Um, the turnovers do have me worried. And I'm, I'm sure they have Kevin worried too. But it just shows how good this defense can be. And how about the fact that this game ends with the ball in DeAnthony Bell's hands? That was like a perfect summation of this week, this season, and, and just everything today. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible, like you said, that the, the game ended that way. Because all we talked about all week, it was really black injury week for the Cleveland Browns with all these guys going down. And we really talked a lot about Grant Delpit being out for the rest of the regular season. And... Juan Thornhill being out for this game and maybe even the next game. And these young safeties were going to have to step up, and they did. Ronnie Hickman made a big play. Uh, and then DeAnthony Bell made a couple of big plays, including that one. And that was incredible. And I'll tell you what, I think that's a testament to the front office, to be able to stock this team with good football players so that when you get into your depth, and they're deep into their depth right now, that when you get into your depth, you still have good players out there. Think of all the guys that were not out there today, and they were still a dominant defense. Now, granted, you can say it's the Bears and blah, 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 but they had won three of their last four games, and they had won two straight, and they were playing some darn good football. They just beat the Lions. So this was not a horrible, horrible team. I mean, you saw Justin Fields made some nice plays. So, um, you know, the defense really, really, I think, uh, is, is just full of really good, scrappy, gritty players. And I just think this is going to be very interesting as we go along. And I think, too, Ashley, it's a, this was kind of a theme this week. It's a credit to the coaching. Um, you know, all these position coaches just getting guys ready, keeping guys ready. It starts with Bill. I mean, Bill Callahan is a magician. <laughs> and I know the offensive line struggled today, but you had Nick Harris, Michael Dunn, who wasn't even expecting to play today, but Joel Batonio, of all people, leaves the game. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just – we'll shorthand this. Wyatt Teller was the only original starter yeah, on the right. offensive line for about the last – I mean, all but 10 minutes of the game. And then, you know, you've got the safety position. You've got two undrafted guys starting back there. You've got, you know, you're, you're, you've got corners running in and out. Denzel kind of played off and on today. Just across the board, you have these position coaches getting guys ready to play. Yeah, and even, like, up front, you have a guy like Siaki Ika who hasn't been able to get active before today playing, like, meaningful snaps out there. You have Shelby Harris, who has been a part of the rotation, but they needed him to do more today with Mo Hurst out for the year. I mean, you're right. You just go down the line, and you find these examples of these guys. And I do think, too, like a lot of this on defense, it stems from Jim Schwartz. And we know how many of these guys are new. Like, you know, Ben Bloom on the D-line is a holdover from the last coaching staff. Like, from Banda, the safeties coach is a new hire. But, you know, I thought today hearing Cam Mitchell say, like, anytime he talks to Jim, Jim says, you're not a rookie anymore. Like, I think he just has it instilled in these guys that they have the experience. They go through the practice stuff that when they get their chance, they just have to take advantage of it. 
And I think like there's a genuine feeling of that from player to player. And you hear these guys talk about, you know, everyone telling them, don't stop the train, just keep it moving, just go out there and do what you can. And it's really taken to heart and you're seeing it play out um, in real time. So I think it's really cool. I think it says a lot about this team and just the culture that they have in the building this year. Okay, I guess my takeaway is I, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about doing like the Hail Mary, like, hey, things kind of went their way finally. And then I'm seeing like we actually just showed the Amari Cooper catch and run down the sideline. And then there's the Marquise Goodwin play from Flacco. There's the defense. There's all of that. So Mary Kay, the Browns have the Browns won today in part because the ball bounced their way at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if Mooney makes that catch, which he should have, the Browns lose a heartbreaker. I don't know what we're talking about here on this podcast. But the Browns did put themselves in that position where the Bears needed to make a spectacular play to win this game, and they didn't do it. I think there's been some luck here, but the Browns kind of earned this, too, by making plays when it really mattered. With You know, like Amari Cooper just keeps making plays. Today, they could not run the ball at all, and they still managed to, to move it. David Njoku... Obviously, this podcast has had its ups and downs with the David Njoku experience, but now all of a sudden he's making huge plays for this team. Like, there's some luck here, obviously. That's football. But this team is kind of earning their way, too. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they never would have even been in that position if they didn't get that amazing fourth quarter from Joe Flacco and if they didn't get eight three-and-outs from their defense. I mean, the defense was phenomenal, and it's a defense that is stressed and strained by short fields all the time because of all these giveaways. Um, so, yes, you're right. They, they did get some luck, and, you, you know, you have to be lucky in order to get all the way to where you want to go. In order to get to the playoffs, to go deep into the playoffs, and maybe even get to the Super Bowl, you have to have some luck. And I have to say, the Browns have had – their fair share. They've had their fair share of, of horrible things happen this season, like <laughs> losing half the team. But in addition to that, they've had some nice little breaks that have sort of helped make up for the loss of Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson and Jack Conklin and Dewan Jones and Grant Delpit and everybody else. They had the missed Moody kick. They had the Mooney drop today. And they've had other things like that that have kind of gone their way, including, uh, you know, some calls at the end of that indie game that, you know, Jim Ursay told the world, the league told him those were bad calls. <laughs> so they've had some things like that go their way, but they've it's completely offset by all the things that haven't gone their way this season. Yeah, it's, it's sort of the like the make your own breaks theory, right? Like, yes, they've had breaks go their way, but for... San Francisco to have to make a field goal there to win that game. The Browns had to drive down the field with P.J. Walker and get a field goal of their own. Um, it, you know, so yeah, it takes it takes luck to win a Super Bowl. I, 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 we can go through every Super Bowl champ. We can go through Tom Brady's career and pick like five lucky moments where we're not talking about a seven-time Super Bowl champ or whatever. So it takes luck to win a Super Bowl, but you also, you got to earn it too. And I think the Browns today just, that resilience, that ability to, to make plays when they needed it. Again, that Amari Cooper, a great throw, a great catch. Like They're, they're setting themselves up, Ashley, to take advantage of some of these breaks. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's, that's what you have to do if you're going to win. I think there's a lot of teams in the NFL that can get lucky at certain points, right? But you do have to take advantage of those moments 
when they are there and still make plays ultimately. Because like you said, yeah, some things could be very different, but I think ultimately it's never just one play or one moment that decides a game. You have to also account for all the moments leading up to it because those lucky quote-unquote moments don't exist in a vacuum ever because nothing does. So I do think like, yeah, you look at that throw to Amari Cooper watching it slow down. I'm like, is that a top 10 throw? Like not just for the Browns this year, (laughs) like in the NFL this year, that was an insane throw. Just that play alone to be able to do that. For Joe Flacco to be able to do that, I never would have assumed like when they brought him here, I was not expecting him to still be able to make throws like that one. Yeah, it's been, you know, another another stroke of luck just to bring it back. Joe Flacco was available, at, at, you know, around Thanksgiving when the Browns desperately needed a quarterback. Um, so, I don't know. Everything's coming up. Kevin Stefanski's on some kind of heater right now. I don't know. I don't know if he ever goes to the casino downtown or not, but I, if he does, whatever number he picks on roulette or whatever, just, just follow his lead because he's on some kind of heater uh, this season for sure. I was just going to say, you know, we have all looked at – uh, the replay of that final play. We've looked at the photos again of that final play with that ball right in Darnell Mooney's lap. It's really almost a Christmas miracle that the Browns got, got out of here alive, right? Yeah. Yep. It's it's the equivalent of the Jamie Meter blocked kick <laughs> in some right. ways. Obviously, the Browns aren't 0-14 or whatever they were when that happened. But, right. Um, okay, we're going to take a break, and then we'll offer some final thoughts here from the Browns' 20-17 to win over the Bears. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby, Aaron K. Cabot, Ashley Bastock. All right, final thoughts time. Who wants to go first? I can go. I mean, we, we haven't talked, I think, a lot about this guy recently, and that's kind of to the point because Dustin Hopkins just keeps doing it, coming through in these clutch moments. This is the first year in a few years we haven't had to spend a significant amount of time talking about or to the kicker, and today, again, He comes up with another game-winning field goal. I've lost track of how many he's had this year, but it's just a testament, again, when we talk about luck and guys being available, this was a good kicker. Dan, you wrote a story about D-Hop last week and and made this point. This was a good kicker who lost the starting job out in L.A. to a rookie kicker who just, or rookie kicker last year, second-year kicker, Dicker the kicker, um, who had he not been as good as he was as a rookie, that would have been D-Hop's job. So it was a stroke of luck that he was even available for them to trade for him and and all of that. And the fact that they didn't wait and went ahead and were proactive making that move. Again, each passing game, it's like, thank goodness they did that because I don't know where they would be without him. Yeah, it's such a funny, like, path the Browns took to Hopkins and it it's funny that it goes back to like I kind of was trying to connect the dots but I didn't need my story to be 10,000 words long but if you think about it the Browns take the wrong kicker Cameron Dicker goes undrafted he ends up in LA after a stop I forget where he was before that but he ends up in LA um, after Dustin Hopkins gets hurt he 
is really good. He's still really good. So they go with the younger, cheaper option, which now makes Dustin Hopkins available. And when the Browns move on from the wrong kicker, they make the trade for Dustin Hopkins. So, right? So for Mary Kay, sometimes it's just about opportunity. It really is. And I also wrote a column this week just saying that there, you know, there would there's no way that they would be eight and five without Dustin Hopkins. This was his fourth game-winning field goal. Thank you. See, the number memory again <laughs> comes in handy. I didn't remember. Mary Kay, of course, did. Yes, fourth game-winning <laughs> field goal of the season. And, you know, that's pretty remarkable. And eight for eight on 50-plus, which just blows my mind, considering he was only 50% on his 50-plus kicks heading in. So, you know, it, he has, he's has he been absolutely remarkable. One of the biggest saves of the season to go out and get Dustin Hopkins. And he's not just having a normal kicker year. This is a Pro Bowl performance that he's having. So good for him. Okay, Mary Kay, do you have a final thought? I do have a final thought. And Dan, it's one that makes you nervous. <laughs> it does. It makes Dan very nervous to hear this. Oh, no. But I do think that anything can happen with these Cleveland Browns. And the reason why I say that is because when you have a dominant defense like this, and now they have a quarterback who can throw touchdown passes. And when you can score the football, he's thrown seven touchdown passes, too many interceptions, we know that, but seven touchdown passes in his three starts for the Browns. So when you can score like that and you can stop your opponent like that, that's a pretty good recipe. Now, they're not playing the juggernauts of the NFL just yet. That will come in a matter of time. But this football team, I think, is good enough to beat anyone. And like Greg Newsom said today, if you ask people around the league, the teams are going to be scared to play us, play us in the playoffs. And I believe that because this is a darn good defense. It's a darn good defense. And now they have a quarterback. They have a quarterback. So anything can happen. And once they get into the tournament, which they should do, once they get into the, and who knows, they might even win the AFC North. Probably not, but you never know. Once they get into the tournament, anything can happen. And I don't look out there and see any team that I don't think they can beat. I think it would be hard to beat the Ravens in Baltimore. But I don't think there's any team out there that is unbeatable for them. And it changes if they can somehow steal this division and get a home playoff game. I, I think, you know, it would be a Huge. big ask to go on the road and, and win. Because this team is different on the road. Right. I, th I think we've seen that on, on a number of occasions. They're different now Joe Flacco on the road in the playoffs. Maybe that balances that out. <laughs> right. I don't know. But I do keep joking with you, Mary Kay. We're going to be on the plane headed to Las Vegas <laughs> for the Super Bowl. And I'm going to be like, eh, I don't know if the Browns can actually make it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, I'm always a little slow to these things. Uh, but... I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, this team, as currently constructed, they just kind of know how to win, and they can keep a game close. And if it comes down to who has the ball last or can your defense make a play on third down, th this team can win a game like that. I know. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to for me, too. Like, I'm starting to think, like, I, like Mary Kay, you know, I agree with this point right now just because of this aspect of – I think in a close game, which we know these games tend to come down to the wire, especially in the playoffs. I mean, NFL games in general are pretty close. But I just think they know how to fight through adversity. 
They know how to hang around. They know how to win despite nonsensical circumstances at times, despite who's out. And there's something to be said for that. And yeah, eventually some of their weaknesses, like the turnovers, um, like the injuries, that might catch up to them. And it might catch up to them in a win-or-go-home playoff game. But I don't look at any team out there across the NFL and think, oh, no, there's no way the Browns can beat them. Like, and I think in years past, like, it'd be so easy to do that with, like, the Chiefs or the Bills, right? Like, the Browns could beat the Chiefs, I think. Like, it's you look at any of these upper echelon, quote-unquote, teams, and there's no reason that this defense cannot hang around with them alone. And if you get Joe Flacco and that experience going and everything's clicking and maybe some of these injured guys get healthy – I think you're off to a good start for the postseason. And you know what the weirdest thing is about this whole entire season? If Mooney and Moody, <laughs> if Mooney and Moody did their jobs, made the kick, and caught that pass, we could be talking about a whole different kind of narrative right now. It's just so bizarre. The and margin is so thin. Even more bizarre. Same end zone, same side of the field. Yes. On both those True. Moody and Moody. By the way, interesting development. We always talk about the dog pound end as the tougher end to kick in, but Kevin Stefanski today took the ball to start so he could have the wind in the second half, and he wanted to go to the dog pound end. And Ashley, you've kind of been on this too. A lot of misses are happening down where we're staring, which is the opposite side. I just wonder if this side has become tougher to kick on. Even Cade York last year, it felt like almost all the misses and the crazy misses were happening on the non-dog pound end side. So it's it's interesting. I'd be curious to see if they would divulge any more about that, but I don't think so. I mean, this is a notorious place to kick. I won't be surprised if they want to keep tight-lipped on any advantage they think they found here. Okay, so here's mine, and I, I hate to end it like this. Womp womp. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to be the canary in the coal mine. I still the turnovers are bothering me three more today now they end up forcing three of their own but one of them was on the Hail Mary at the end of the first half so they didn't lose the turnover battle today but they kind of did because that one's kind of a fluky who cares turnover Um, and I I mean the other one was a Hail Mary too honestly but that was a game sealer so we'll, we'll go ahead and count that one these turnovers have me worried 27 now They just keep turning the football over. And Mary-Kate, to your point, that they can beat anyone. The way they get beat by someone is if they give Patrick Mahomes extra possessions or they give Tua, who, I mean, they they should match up pretty well with Miami, who doesn't do well against physical teams. But they give Tua some extra possessions. Or they get to Las Vegas and they give Brock Purdy some extra possessions. Like, I think that we should be worried about these turnovers. I think it's going to come back to bite them. I don't know if it's going to be in these next three games. I don't know if it's going to be in the middle of January. But I I just think you can only get by for so long winning games, turning the ball over at the rate they're turning, them over, turning it over at. Well, here's what they're going to have to worry about in that regard as they move along. You're not always going to be able to get away with, uh, you know, edge rushers not just killing the game for you and wrecking the game. As it was, Montez Sweat had three sacks today, okay? And as you move forward, that could end up being your Achilles heel, where you've got these two tackles and to a certain extent, you know, maybe a new center and we don't know what else yet with Joel. The offensive line could end up being the thing 
that does them in in the end. When, when we think about them going to Baltimore, I mean, can you imagine what Baltimore's defense is going to want to do to Joe Flacco, their former Super Bowl MVP, uh, and this offensive line? And so I think that's where the turnovers come in. If he is hurried and rushed or they're, you know, batting passes at the line of scrimmage and, and forcing him and menacing him into turnovers, uh, you're right, that's, that's where they could really falter. But I think that's the area that will be the most difficult to overcome is specifically to, you know, their fourth and fifth tackles and how are they going to try to keep Joe upright and protected and give him time to throw. And, and to that point, going back to some of the breaks they've gotten, that Baltimore game, the last time we saw Deshaun Watson, the 14 for 14, was this close to he got strip sacked and Wyatt Teller was in the right place at the right time. That was almost another costly turnover. It's just, I just don't think in this league, as great as this defense has been, Ashley, you can keep turning the ball over at this rate and keep winning, especially when you get into one-and-done situations. I mean, yeah, that has kind of been their Achilles heel all year. And ultimately, like, it might be what leads to their undoing, I guess. And, you know, Andrew Berry, I still always think back to his bi-week press conference. And even back then, after four games, he was like, it is so unlikely that we have won the games we have while still losing the turnover battle. They talked about ball security being paramount. And again, you know, I think at this point, like, so much of this has to do with somewhat with the injuries and the guys they've lost and where they've lost those players. But I do think it's tough to balance because like we talked about at the beginning of this, like Joe Flacco is going to throw interceptions and you don't want him to not take those opportunities because that's when you get the explosive plays like we got today with Amari Cooper and Marquise Goodwin. So I definitely think like this to me is, is still their biggest weakness, even though I'm on that, that playoff train right now still and think they could you know, feasibly win just about any game that comes their way. The ones they do lose, I won't be surprised if it is because of the turnover battle going forward. Yeah, I mean, they're going to make the play. I think we yeah. all agree that this team's going to make the playoffs, whether it's as a wild card or if they end up winning this division, um, which could get interesting as, as we go along here. Um, but it's just, you know, you hope when that does catch up to you, it's not in like the divisional round or the AFC championship game. Uh, but we'll see. Sorry to end it on a downer, everyone. The Browns, 20 to 17 winners. But they're going to uh, go to the Super Bowl, don't worry. Yes, Super exactly. Browns. <laughs> uh, Browns, 20 to 7, and I'll be sitting on the plane next to Mary Casey. I'm just not sure if they're going to make it there. Uh, 20 to 17 winners, the Browns over the Bears. Uh, they are back on track after they lost two in a row out west. Now they won two in a row at home. They head to Houston next week for a big game. Houston won today against Tennessee. We'll see if C.J. Stroud is back for that. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Become a Football Insider subscriber cleveland.com slash browse the blue banner at the top of the page. Find us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk and find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks.